You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind. And I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and people about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by the Breathe Culture Pledge, a community of like-minded SMEs who are committed to building and maintaining a people-first culture. Whether you've got your company culture nailed or need a little guidance to improve it, joining the Breathe Culture Pledge gives you the recognition and resources you need to help your culture flourish. Plus, it's 100% free. Join over 700 SMEs and invest in your people today. Head over to breathehr.com forward slash culture pledge to find out more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. First of all, I want to ask, how are you all doing? It seems to me from where I stand in the world that we're in two kind of strange pathways. There are some organisations who are fully embracing new ways of working, using the shake-up of the past two years to really do things differently. And then on the other hand, we have almost an extremist group of organisations who not only have defaulted to the way things used to be, but have almost upped the ante. So I'd love to know, where do you see things? How is your landscape in the world of work? And what are you experiencing the most? Because if there's something you would love to get off your chest, then don't forget that we always have a bonus episode at the end of the year about workplace horror stories. So if you have something that you would like to share anonymously and in confidence, then do get in touch because you can share that story with us and we will be talking about some of those crazy workplace horror stories at the end of season nine. So if that feels like a cathartic way to get something off your chest, then do get in touch. You can drop me an email or outreach to me on social media. But I would love to know especially which episode so far has had your brain working overtime. Is there something you've put into play or a revelation that's been sparked? Do let me know because, you know, myself and our guests love to know when our conversations are having an impact. Today, I'm joined by Colin Newland from Decrapify Work. Is there a better name? Colin is a recovering corporate executive who is on a mission to decrapify work. In his career, he experienced the highs and lows, starting in an open, supportive and enabling culture and ending up in some thoroughly toxic ones. And he knows which one was best. He wants to inspire people in organisations to use the agency they have to improve their own work experience, that of the people they work with and ultimately the whole organisation. Colin is variously described as a sage, critical friend, optimistic realist, independent thinker, coach, mentor and pirate. He writes blogs and speaks regularly on leadership, teams, the future of work and the insanity of the organisations that we sometimes have today. 
He helps people start mutinies, break rules, and make good trouble. Sounds like our kind of guest. So let's wait no more. Hi, Colin, and welcome to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. So for our audience who are listening today, share a little bit of what landed you into the world of Decrapify work. Would you, would you be able to sort of share your story with us? Yeah, of course. Hi, Lizzie. I'm glad to be here. Um, so I had a, a, a career that was in two parts, really. Um, the first part was wonderful and the second part was not so good, shall we say. So I started off um, and I spent about, had a 15-year career or so in um, a large telecoms communication company. Uh, and the first seven years of that were great. I worked in these two quite small entrepreneurial organisations where um, you pretty much you know, could, could design your own career and do lots of interesting stuff. And if you had an idea, people would say, okay, go and see if you can make it work. Um, and that was great for me. I really thrived in those sorts of environments. And then we got merged into another bit of the organisation, which was very, very different culture. It was very hierarchical, command and control, fear-driven culture. Um, and I didn't really know what was going on because I thought, like, wasn't work like the place I'd been in before, you know. Um, so uh, that was that was a very difficult sort of... Uh, period, not just for me, but for all the rest of us that got merged in there, sort of like wandering around thinking, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> um, and it seemed to me um, it, it was completely counterproductive because they got a lot less out of us in that environment. And it was extremely unpleasant and um, it caused a lot of stress for people. And so I suppose I've always been sort of faced with this question, right? So, well, why are more organisations like that second part of my career than the first part, when the first part is obviously so much better. Um, and after much sort of musing about this, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to the point where I, I felt I really had to try and sort of delve into it and say something a bit about it. Because um, I suppose what really kicked off the decrapify work stuff in a way was there was a lot of stuff around employee engagement. Um, and I was, I was, sort of getting I was doing coaching at the time I was sort of getting involved in this stuff a bit and I kept reading all this stuff about the employee employee engagement and thinking well you know if I was an employee engagement consultant my advice would be why don't you make your staff feel like you give a shit because because that would really improve engagement because most yeah. of the time they think you don't um and yeah and so that sort of led me off down this path and we ended up with the crappify work amazing I love it and I love the name as well it's it's so playful but also very true it's <laughs> really that's exactly what we're trying to do is is to remove all the crap that we keep getting put into these workplaces and I feel you on that that level I know we've spoken before about that comparison between being in an organization where you feel like you can move things forward and you have an impact and you see the results of your work but then also being stuck in an organisation or a business where everything feels so stifled and like everything is a struggle that it's just almost comes to the point where you're thinking, even just to do my job feels difficult, yeah. <laughs> let alone be part of this company. Um, I mean, what I obviously we kind of met through the um, Be More Pirate Network meetup because yeah. um, we're both 
pirates, should we call it? <laughs> Modern day pirates. Um, but it's something that obviously with that movement, it's all about removing those kind of bureaucracies as well and, and those things that get stuck in the way. And from meeting you, obviously, I then discovered your infamous newsletters, which you call the not so newsletters, <laughs> which I really enjoy reading. And it's one thing I, I've actually shared a lot with my network, because there's so many bits in there that you pick up where you take something, you know, that's that's either in the news or the media or, you know, someone's talking about something and you really shed some real light onto it. I mean, what motivated you to, to start that newsletter in the first place? Um, well, it because I realised I wasn't going to be able to make it into a very good podcast. <laughs> that was the original idea. I thought I'll just do a podcast and I'll have a bit of a ramble. Um, and and I recorded a couple. And I thought, no, they're dreadful. They're like they don't really work. Um, and writing is very much my sort of medium, I guess. Um, so I, I started doing the, the newsletter, and it was really. Um, uh, it's a combination of sharing a lot of the stuff that I, I've picked up along the way, uh, things from other fields that I thought, I don't know why people aren't talking about this. You know, like a lot of stuff out of coaching really does apply to to organisations and and management and leadership. Um, but also stuff that was driving me bonkers. Um, you know, just some of the stuff people talk about in, in the business. And I would... I would go out for a walk to listen to a podcast and I'd be shouting at <laughs> the podcast as I'm walking through the, there's a forest near me. But I was, fortunately, normally there weren't people around. So was like, <laughs> I was say, I've got visions of you Colin shouting in a forest. Okay, there's the local madman. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. Um, so I was really sort of trying to, to talk about some of those things. Um, yeah. And, and, nonsense that uh that is it's yeah yeah not only is nonsense spoken but uh, like whole oeuvres of work are created around this this rubbish and yeah so definitely i know we i know we spoke previously about how things can especially in the media you know as we know bad news sells and it's sometimes the the narrative that we get told in the media or the press or what they like to push through, it gets so manipulated and warped in so many ways that actually, you know, the, the true story behind it, no one's making the real effort to actually get the, get the opinion from people who are being impacted. And, you know, especially at the moment with, we're still kind of going through this kind of COVID hangover, I suppose you'd call it, where businesses don't know what they should be doing. Should we be doing hybrid? Are we, you know, defaulting back into the office? Um, and I see so many of them. I mean, you're probably the same. You go on LinkedIn for as an example, and, you know, down the, the right-hand side, you've got all of those news feeds. And I just read some of the titles of those as well, and I'm sat there getting so annoyed. I mean, what's one of the biggest, um, I suppose, stories that's really pressing your buttons right now in terms of what we're getting sold in the media? Um, I think, I mean, it's been the case for quite a while, this whole sort of force... Um, choice between work from home and work from the office and um so, so my background was i i was you know remote uh, in many ways like back when i was uh, in in um bt i had a laptop i worked on email 
that was my that was my product line that I I ran, um, and I used to go around plugging in all over the place and you know doing work, and it just seemed perfectly normal to me. So uh, there was never this dichotomy, uh, and then suddenly everyone has to do this, which is like, yeah, guys, you could have done this twenty years ago; it would have been a lot better for everybody. But never mind. Um, and then this whole sort of false argument is generated around it, and. Um, Actually, what most people ignore is that most of what COVID did was actually show problems that were already there. It sort of threw everything into this, into this relief of black and white. So there's no grey anymore. We could see where problems were, were around. And the office was, was a really bad environment for a lot of people. Um, half the time, people didn't go to the office anyway. So people were already working in other places um, and only going in about half the time. Uh, so really what's you know what it's what what needs to happen now is a complete rethinking of how we work and how we go about work um of which the location of where people work is uh, that's almost a downstream issue it's how they work and what they're working on that's really important and i've long been an advocate of you know asynchronous communication because basically that was the thing that the email enabled you know i didn't have to be in the room with people and i worked with people all over the world and you know it didn't always work because sometimes you went away on a business trip um and you'd end up at two o'clock in the morning in your hotel bedroom having to you know write a product information brief because it needed to be out by the next day you know whereas <laughs> before before um you had that sort of uh, mobility, you, you would just be out of the office and it wouldn't happen. So, um, yeah, so that, that whole debate is is really, it, we're just not having the right conversation about the right thing. You know, so the real issue is work doesn't work for other people. Uh, some of that is due to location, you know, and the long days that not having to commute certainly solves part of that problem, but it doesn't solve the problem that a lot of work is, you know, meaningless, pointless, tedious, and unnecessary, and the environment that people are in is is poor. Mm. Um, I think there was some research recently about why people are you know, resigning in big numbers and getting jobs elsewhere, and far and away the biggest cause was uh, toxic environments. Yeah, so it comes back to my original point. So that out of my two sort of modes of work, the first bit, which was great, and the second bit, which was terrible, more and more organisations have become terrible. And we have to look at why that is and try and reverse that process. Um, yeah, and, and you know, the reasons why, uh, what I came up with was um, what I called the process of crapification. And the sort of you know six forces of crapification. Um, so I, I think things have got worse over time, not because someone decided like let's make work really shit for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure there were some people out there who thought that, but, <laughs> but it's it's a number of different forces that have combined with each other, um, and we need to stop stop that happening because I think you know a lot of a lot of companies are not really working anymore. I mean they're just not mm. functioning properly. Um, yeah. and we might see quite a few of them disappear in the next year or so. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating because, again, 
like we saw when we had the 2008 financial recession, there was so much disruption that went on after that. So, you know, you had the likes yeah. of, um, you know, Airbnb, lo- um, lots of different disruptors coming through from people that, you know, brands and businesses that hadn't really been operating effectively anymore um, or really putting people at their very core of what they do. Um, so I, I feel like there is going to be this real interesting shift. I mean, I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, the the narrative that gets told, like you say, you know, work is actually a much more complex thing than just where we work. Um, it's how we work. It's what we do. And what I continue to see at the moment is, unfortunately, a, quite a glorification sometimes of a particular type of leader kind of giving this um, big speech. You know, I've, I've seen it twice now. So there was a there was a podcast recently that I was listening to where, again, and, and this isn't anything sexist, but it is a, a, a white male leader telling people how how work needs to be. And then again, a blog post glorifying leaders who have a very authoritative style, you know, people like Musk, um, Zuckerberg, you know, idolizing these kind of tech um, leaders. Again, they all come from the same ilk of being white and male and and telling us how work needs to be done and unfortunately people take that so much for gospel as oh that's what we need to do because he said so yeah the old hero worship um of the hero leader yes it's i mean i think people like musk and zuckerberg are dreadful they're they're appalling human beings in the first place uh they're quite odd um yeah they're they're not i mean they are outliers i think you could you could say in lots of different ways um and yeah le- leadership so as a friend of mine is fond of re- re- of stating um dr peter senge that's, that's not my friend my friend worked with him um said that leadership is the capacity of an organization to create its own future i think or a mm-hmm. capacity of a group of people so it, we have this idea that leadership is this thing done by a person to us um, and actually, it's not. It's a it's it's a group endeavor, and you need lots of people leading. And you know all the stuff that um, that is handed down from you know from the boardroom, like you know, per person, the values and all that stuff. That would be much better uh, and much more effective if it was the result of a conversation across the whole organization um, that everybody contributed to. Um, and then you'd really have you know some values and purpose that would be meaningful to everybody Mm. and so so i think that's you know we we have to move more towards that collective way of working which is how and this is part of what, what what annoys me about when you read some of the press and some of the books if you look at what people say about teams then it's all about, you know, the collective and coming together and supporting each other and your know, high levels of trust. And and yet, when they talk about the organisation, all that stuff's forgotten. Well, surely the same stuff applies. I mean, you know, <laughs> if, if, if it's important that we work collectively at the team level, why isn't it important that we work collectively at, 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 at the, the higher levels? Um, yeah, so that's... Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things where we do glorify. It's very easy to 
to look at some of the, especially because so much of it is sometimes glamorized at the moment. You know, it's very. Um, well, well, we shouldn't forget that these people spend quite a lot of money on PR agents <laughs> to to write their stories <laughs> for them. So, you know, uh, uh, yeah, Facebook spends an awful lot, a lot of money on promoting an image of itself that is not necessarily reality. Yeah, um, absolutely, and this big shift as well into personal branding as well has a slightly you know edge to it a, a dark shadow should we say that it casts because it's very easy for example I was um watching somebody share about you know the the shared a clip of a um leader talking about okay you know giving what appeared to be a very highly educated you know um answer to a question about why should people go into the workplace and he was you know oh you know it's all about our behaviors and we need to be around people you know there's all this really pushing the 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 office perspective and you know this this guy came on and said unfortunately it's, it's more complex than that actually and you know for example he said I'm on the neurodiverse spectrum it has been a, a horrible experience going into a work environment in an office when I have the needs that I have and I'm so much happier and healthier at home and because this particular person was on quite a well-known podcast it's worrying that people are taking that as something to go oh okay well he's right he clearly knows what he's doing because he's obviously you know CEO of whatever and I just you know there's just not enough diversity in the conversation no absolutely I mean like what the hell do CEOs know about what goes on in office I mean <laughs> if you've ever worked in an organization um, yeah. of any size you'll know that like what the people at the top think ha- thinks happen is definitely not what goes on day to day um and yeah that I mean we're back to the you know, male, pale, and stale brigade spouting. <laughs> so they're also the people that have the power, and I think this is you know, a very important thing to look at. Um, how you feel in an office is very different depending on what level of power you have. Um, and it's the people who don't have power that really don't really want to go back in the office and be subjected to those power dynamics again. Yeah. Um, and those those power dynamics were a problem before COVID. Mm. Again, you know, there's there's um, you know the cultures in offices were very um, skewed towards uh, extrovert men. Uh, I mean, I would say white, but I guess in other cultures, it's whatever the dominant cultural group is yeah. would, would predominate, and. Um, and people who like playing the the politics games, mm. uh, and if you if you don't want to do any of that stuff, it, it's really tedious. And well, at best it's tedious. At worst, it can be quite quite damaging. Yeah. So, um, yeah, workplace has been crap for a long time. And that's the, the other thing that is really that really also kicked me off of this. But I mean, you know, the evidence is there. I mean, the employment engagement survey by Gallup has been going for 22 years now and the results have have never been anything other than than dire um, and consistently dire and you could you could look at you know the methodology and it's self-reporting and all this but but it's so consistent over such a long time 
it tells its own story, which is, you know, this is awful. Um, mm. And there's lots of talk about it. And of course, there's not very much done about it because, um, you know, that, that probably means people at the top changing how they behave. And that's, that's yeah, the they, they don't want to change themselves. They want to change everyone else, Colin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that was, you know, that's my message for in Decrapify work is very much aimed at the people further down because the change is not going to come from the guys at the top. They've proven that because if it was going to come, it would have happened by now. Mm. Um, and COVID has just shown even more so that they're they're, they're really um, out of touch uh, and have a, you know, they don't really have an understanding of what happens in the workplace. So they were all amazed that their people were so capable and inventive and able to adapt to working from home in an incredibly short period of time because they didn't really understand how capable the people they had were and and yeah. now that's all been done and that's all been forgotten it's like right we want you back in the office now so we can see what you're up to make sure you're not swinging the <laughs> lead it's just ridiculous and really is. yeah um, so what what advice do you have for people that you know you mentioned that very much your kind of um approach is the pe- the people power kind of influence you know a lot of people believe they're kind of powerless um or, or it's certainly they're made out to be powerless um what are the things that you feel that could kind of shake things up a bit so but you're right that people are uh, often feel they're powerless because that's what the organization um does that's not what they say they do that's actually what they do um so they inculcate this learned helplessness you know that well i can't read their i could you know if i do that it's not going to have any impact and so forth um and actually i i don't think that's true i think you know the people particularly people who are in positions where they've got you know a small handful of people that they're responsible for um so sort of team leaders um but but anybody who's making something happen in the organization actually has a lot of power because mm-hmm. um, you know they are the only people that make anything happen in the organization to be honest <laughs> or anything that sticks um, and if you're if you've got a team that you're that you're leading you know you, you establish the culture in that team not what the company says it's how you behave to and the behavior that you encourage amongst the people in your team and what you will and won't stand for and where you set the boundaries mm-hmm. um, and and so you've actually got much more power and agency than than the company would like you to realize um so it's a question of, of trying to use that to make some change happen um and that's where the sort of pirate be more pirate mentality comes in which is well i'm not going to ask for permission because i'll never get it um but i'm just going to make some change happen uh and to do that you know start start on a small scale just identify stuff you can do to make better and I suspect a lot of people actually do this are doing it subconsciously anyway you know mm-hmm. so if if you're I mean my my whole sort of attitude towards leading is that you you create the environment for people to thrive in and if that's your approach um it's like well what can I do to make life better for my team like how can I so a lot of people will be will be familiar with being sort of a human shield for all the bullshit that comes down from the top and the bureaucracy stuff but it's like well how what else you know what can we do to make it better for us and make our life more pleasurable and maybe that'll have an impact upon 
other people. So you know, that's I mean, quite often you'll see change happen. A group will do, you know, a team will start to do something a bit different, and it will start working for them. And then other teams will say, "Oh no, how, what did you do there? Let me know." And it sort of spreads um, across the organisation, and um, in that what's organic way. That, uh, and I think that's really the, the way you can make change happen. And you know, it's a pirate phrase. You know, they didn't try and change the world; they changed their world. Yeah. And the worst that can happen is that you make life better for you and the people that you work with. Um, and you start to build that muscle of making change happen, um, which is a great muscle to have. And if you do like, come to the end of the road with that organisation, then at least you're going from, well, I achieved this, and I stood up for what I believed in, and I, I've got that capability to take forward into the next role. Um, and that's where I want people to be. I don't want people to be in that stage of so beaten down and demoralised that they're just like falling out of the organisation because they just can't bear it anymore. Because that's a that's a really hard place to to move forward from. Um, so you might end up leaving the organisation, but at least you can make a few blows for freedom before you go. <laughs> I love that. You've mentioned there, Colin, about you know the things that people can do and and how you know you've covered it's been crap for a long time um so i'm intrigued to know from someone who has been watching from the sidelines and and been part in and you know with these companies that have done so many things that just make you kind of scratch your head and wonder why what are the five things you would do if you were running a company what would you just definitely not do things that you're just like why are companies doing these things and they just really need to stop what are the things that always kind of come into your mind when you're thinking about the big no-nos i um i think it's a bit of a I, yeah i suppose my naturally look at it the other way around because i sort of look at like okay what the what are the sort of principles and the frameworks you put in place to make a positive environment emerge but um I guess a couple of things. I mean, I think you generally want to have as few rules and regulations as possible. Um, I was, uh, one of my uh, favourite books is Reinventing Organisations by Frederick Malou, which I know you've read as well, sort of, which stuff, in some ways was another sort of big contribution to this journey because it suddenly gave us a language to talk about this stuff yeah. that we didn't have before. And he makes the point that if you, you know, if you look at what most rules and regulations say in an organisation, what they say is, we don't trust you, uh, we think you're lazy, and um, we don't think we're worth, you're worth what we pay you. Um, and the messages it sends out are terrible. So, so probably the first thing I'd do is get hold of the staff employment handbook and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, and, and then I would uh, get rid of all the um, security policies uh, because there's when I, was, when I was in BT, we had various security classifications because some of the stuff in, that they did were did for the government uh, and was you, know, you had to have um, security clearance from the government to work in those departments. And so there was some very serious stuff there. But... It, the, the spread of this 
um, what people would put in their documents. So it would start off, you know, private, and then it became in confidence, and it becomes you know, in strictly in confidence, and, you know, and so and people are putting like in strictest confidence on stuff that was like, well, most people will read this and not even understand it, let alone, you know, there's no value in this. This is just people showing off. Um, and it's really unnecessary because actually what you want is as wide a flow of information in an organisation as possible. So, and you want to stop people trying to use uh, organisations, uh, sorry, you want to stop people using information as a way of uh, exercising power, corralling power to them. So yeah, so I'd get rid of all that stuff because there's very, very little information that is really commercially sensitive, mm. um, and very little of it is the state secret. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, yeah, so that's a couple of things, I guess. Yeah, um, rip up the handbook. Stop with all the security policies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like ban meetings, possibly. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so many. Um, so much time is wasted on meetings. Are we, uh, this is another thing that drives me nuts. Is we talk about, you know, we, we, we bandy words around and they have such broad application, it's almost meaningless. And we talk about meetings, but there are so many different types of meetings and we don't differentiate between them. We don't run them differently. Um, we just had this like, well, let's all get in a room and waste an hour. Um, <laughs> so so I, would, I would definitely, um, you know, stop stop meetings uh so i think there's i mean and i think that is it that is partly what happens when you move to um a more modern work pattern because actually having a meeting becomes expensive now when you're all sitting in an office uh then calling a meeting was you know not that it was it was how things were done i mean i i, I worked back in the day where the only way you could do things was by having a meeting because People didn't even have telephones on their desks because you know you had to go and see people. <laughs> um, but but it was it was sort of like priced in. Whereas now, if people are working not in the office in a distributed fashion, actually getting people together has a very very substantial and identifiable cost, which is as it should be. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, so you should you know you should you should make meetings difficult, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Other than, I mean, like, but there are some meetings. So, you know, a lot of progress meetings on projects and stuff need to be regular and they need to be short, punctual, and in agile, they have stand-ups every morning. You need that sort of structure. Um, but they don't need to be in person because they actually work really well um, mm. over, over Zoom and Teams and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we need to get, and we need to get much smarter about how we use language and what we're talking about, define terms. Mm. yeah so it comes back to me talking about leadership earlier i mean leadership just means so many different things to so many different people it's it's very hard to have a sensible conversation about about it um, yeah it is and culture and values you know. yeah it's so it's all so subjective isn't it and there's yeah. there's so much like you say everyone has from their perspective a, a different approach to it and you know, well, they have a different understanding of what you're actually talking about. I mean, yeah. it's just that you can, you know, yeah, not just Absolutely. not be talking about the same topic at all. Yeah, yeah. Are you using the same words? Um, I, I'm, I'm never forgetting. I, I think I've shared this story before, where when I started Liberty Mind back in 2018, and I was talking about culture, 
I used to laugh because when I first started kind of having conversations with businesses, they were just like, oh, so you're going to come and do our social events? No, (laughs) no, I'm not a glorified event planner. (laughs) No, that's not company culture. (laughs) No. So I just remember having these really, and and I just remember thinking there's, like you say there's just such a lack of understanding there's still a lack of understanding and, mm. and a lot of education that needs to go on around new ways of working and, and yeah I mean I mean cult- culture is um is a relatively new idea you know as far as I say relatively new. I mean again I'm quite old so when I started people didn't talk about culture very much um and then Tom Peters and the other guy came along with in search of excellence and you know, all this yeah. stuff started being talked about, but it's it's talked about as the solution to you know it's the silver bullet thing. Oh, if you just get our culture right, it'll be you know. And it's it's no that isn't. You need to know what your culture is. Your culture is emergent, so you have a culture, yeah. And you need to understand what that is, and yeah. you need to take action to sort of try and encourage it to be um, a positive culture for for everybody in whatever aspects you want but um yeah but you 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 can't really set culture i mean again that's you know that's the management team being out of touch and having the conceit that we just pulled the culture lever and the machine will work better you know and of course (laughs) the kinseys and the rest of them will come along and you know sell them a, a massively expensive um program to do that and they'll pull the culture lever and then they'll wonder why 18 months later things seem to have gone back to where they <laughs> yeah. were before yeah absolutely it's such an evolution it's such a journey and like you say it's 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 really never ending because there's so much relearning that companies have to do and and i you know i always say to businesses you have a culture whether you realize it or not absolutely <laughs> You have several cultures, in fact. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's not just as simple as dictating some values from the top down and we've done culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's, but that's the whole sort of, you know, they, they still look at the organisation as, you know, with, through the machine metaphor. Yeah, um, And uh, that, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the things we really have to sort of blow out the water, stop using that, because it's so, yeah. it's permeated the language so much, but also the way people think. So you know, the idea that um, that you can you know set the thing and you can tune the organisation to get certain outputs it really doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's more, I mean, if you it, it, in terms of a, a, I guess an industrial process, it's more like brewing or something like that. You know, yeah, you, totally. you sort of hope the beer is going to be good or whatever, <laughs> day, but you can't be sure. <laughs> Um, I love that. That's going to be my new tagline now, Colin. Brewing culture yeah. <laughs> since 2018. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Amazing. So I thought it'd be fun this episode to do a bit of a quick fire round. Are you up for it, Colin? Well, we'll give it a go. I'm not returning. I mean, it's not that quick fire, let's be okay. honest. But yeah, so. Here we go. So, song or playlist that makes you instantly feel good? What's Ooh. at the top of your list? Um, uh, I guess, I mean, I, I, I like uh, some soul stuff from the sort of Motown, stacks stuff uh, onwards. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, because that uh, that was my brother was big into Motown, so that was an early influence, and that always gets my feet tapping. Oh, I so love it puts that. Puts me in a good mood. Oh, interesting. A book or podcast that changed your life. Um, we've already mentioned reinventing work, which um, it just it just talked about a load of stuff that I and a lot of other people had not been able to articulate. And I think there are some, are some flaws with his analysis now, but it was just this, wow, the world can be different. And this is, what <laughs> we, this is how I can talk about it. So that was, um, that was really influential. And of course, Be More Pirate has... Absolutely. Which, which was just, um, yeah, I took that like a duck to water, really. So. Mm, yeah. The best advice you've ever been given... Mm. best advice I don't know I probably almost certainly didn't take it so. <laughs> fair enough very pirate of you Colin I mean, that's you know love it and a bucket list item that you're yet to tick off uh, I'd like to go and see the Grand Canyon because I used to be a bit of a, um, I was quite interested in geography Ooh. in the past. So, yeah, that or New Zealand, which has also got some fabulous geographical features. Oh, yeah. That's uh, and idea. hobbits as well. Actually, maybe, yeah. New Zealand, <laughs> maybe New Zealand's a better call. That's a... <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's on my bucket list too. Such a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and the last one, if you could create a placard for a public protest, what would it be? I think, I think I'd probably be really dull about that. I mean, I quite like those ones that say things like, you know, that's enough of, you know, we, we, we've had enough of all of that. <laughs> well, yeah. we don't approve of things like this, that sort of, you know, British <laughs> protest. But um, I think they're stronger together because I really mm. do believe that you know we we achieve far more that's that's our evolutionary history you know the reason we are the dominant species on the planet yeah. is because we figured out how to work together in bigger and bigger um groups and we need to get back to that yeah uh, and about you know relationships and human interaction and uh, a community so I, I actually i don't think people really do want culture i think what they really want is community mm, yeah yeah um, Definitely. Yeah, and all this talk about going back to the office is really say, come back to the office for community. And people are saying, yeah, yeah but there wasn't any community there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all worked in silence. <laughs> With our heads down. We got told off and went to the toilet too often, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, Colin. Um, I'm right, going to leave... Leave all of the um, show notes for Decrapify work um, for anybody that wants to come and discover your work and also sign up to your not-so-newsletter, as you call it, which I would highly, highly recommend people do because it is, you know, the, you get a lot of emails these days, let's be honest, but that is one that I always reserve time for with a, with a cup of tea. So I definitely recommend that one. Um, so, yeah, thank, thank you so much, Colin. I, I hope it occasionally makes you snort into your cup of tea. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me giggle it's it's not only thought-provoking but it's entertaining it's just yeah there's 
so few newsletters that actually yeah engage me in the way that you do so it's even saved in a folder just to give you extra kudos it's even saved in a folder called emails I love so that that is how much dedication your emails get um but thank you so much Colin it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and um yeah thank you thank you You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.